Welcome back for another episode of The Break Room. Today, we're discussing ways to manage and optimize referrals. A study from the Archives of Internal Medicine found that, while 105 million patient visits resulted in a specialist referral, only about half of referrals result in a completed appointment. Furthermore, analysis from Pareto found that less than 25% of referrals are indeed completed as intended by the referring physician. As we shift to value-based care, referral management becomes increasingly important as a way to ensure patients continue to receive highest quality care, but at a lower cost, meeting patients' needs while saving the healthcare system. To discuss this important topic, our guests today are Corey Perdue, Senior Vice President of Network Development and Governance, and Chris Poe, Director of Network Development at Privia Health. We'll discuss challenges independent physicians face when implementing referral management, tools and technology to help the process, and key data points for physicians to monitor. And with that, let's start the show. Corey, Chris, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. To get things started, could you please start by just defining referral management for our listeners? Yeah, thanks, Morgan. My name is uh, Corey Perdue. I'm a senior vice president with Privia. You know, when it comes to referral management, you know, it's a process that we basically looked at and tried to determine, you know, developing a network of providers, specialty providers that includes any ambulatory services. I example is lab radiology, but really trying to kind of develop, a, you know, a network of assets for our primary care doctors or our physician group really to kind of access. And, you know, from the referral management perspective, we really focused on giving, number one, making sure that we were focused on identifying, you know, from a quality perspective, the best resources. So that was key. One of the things that we were exclusively focused on, you know, was the fact that we don't want to try to develop the low cost network. We want to develop the high quality network. And, you know, by that, we actually spent a lot of time developing uh, metrics and gathering data on cost, quality, uh, access, patient satisfaction, and tried to then present those to our doctors and have them tell us which providers, which assets they wanted in their network of, of referrals. So it, it involves people, process, technology, a lot of data. But at the end of the day, our, our objective in developing a referral network was to put the information at the doctor's fingertips to enable them to make a decision that's best for the patient at the time of service. And I think that's really where, you know, uh, it's a, I, I think we all kind of understand it's a work in progress, but, you know, I think we've done um, through the work of a lot of, you know, great people, we've done some fantastic work, you know, as it relates to that. Hi, this is uh, Chris Bowe. I'm the network director. I oversee a network from value-based care perspective for all markets, the Privia Medical Group. So echo everything Corey just mentioned, I think really strong points. When we think about referrals today from a value-based care perspective, the biggest piece we try to put together, puzzle we try to put together, is really finding the right care for that patient at that time. So ideally, they avoid the hospital. They avoid anything where they end up doing something acute in a bad experience. Nobody wants to be in the hospital with an injury or, or a disease state of that type. So it's really giving the provider that network and that, the information they need to make the right decision for that patient if they need to seek care outside of that PCP or that office today. 
So we use the term uh, informed referral. Uh, we never want to dictate uh, where a patient goes inside of our network. We really want to empower the, the patient and the PCP to make a decision to figure out where the next best step in care lies for that patient. You, you mentioned getting the right data in front of physicians at the right time, but I'm curious, what are some of the other challenges physicians face when it comes to referral management? Yeah, I, I think the biggest piece of that is just knowing who the right specialist or facility is for that patient, right? They, they have a sense of the market, who they've gone to medical school with, who they've grown up around and the facilities in the area. So it, it's, I don't wanna say it's a limited perspective, but it's definitely the world they know. And, and it's much easier to send a patient to a setting where they're familiar and then trying to educate, inform, giving them the resources to figure out which of those settings are most appropriate especially if it's new or different than what they're accustomed to, is a monumental challenge. And I highlighted that a little bit in the previous question that we never want to dictate that decision. We want to give them the resources to make that decision for themselves. Yeah, I would just add to that is that, you know, when you kind of think about a physician's life, you know, really trying to make that information and give them as much as possible at the point of care to make that referral with confidence, being able to you know, whether it's one click or, you know, something that's going to be user-friendly for the patient, you know, to be able to give the patient confidence that, you know, number one, I work with the absolute best doctors, you know, again, this is going to be, you know, um, degree of continuity of care, you know, that, that will enable you to get from my office to there. And then once that information or that test or that, you know, diagnosis is revealed, I also will be included in that. And I think, you know, one of the things that has been difficult for physicians and remains difficult is just the fragmentation, you know, that exists out there. And when information is, you know, they send it, they refer patients or they tell a patient, hey, Corey, you need to do this. And then, you know, the person walks out the door, you know, whether or not individual was able to get into see that specialist, whether or not they did that, the test, the diagnosis, et cetera, I think it's something that is an ongoing challenge for, for physicians. And, and we hear that quite a bit as to saying is that if we could simplify that, you know, develop more continuity around just the overall referral, close the loop, you know, being able to kind of then get the information back to the primary care doctor, you know, is something that we've spent a ton of time on trying to solve, but it is one of the frustrations and challenges that all physicians kind of incur when it comes to managing specialty care. Referral management clearly has many benefits. So what are the different advantages for patients, for physicians, and for payers? You know, we believe from the onset that, that you know, at the end, everything has to be designed around the patient experience. And, you know, when you think about why, if all of the studies kind of suggest, you know, why people do not seek care, it's because of, you know, the lack of access or the barriers that exist. So again, as you're kind of looking at designing a referral management, being able to kind of develop, you know, technology that helps facilitate that referral. And by that, I mean, it's anything from, you know, being able to kind of then reach out and, and schedule the appointment on behalf of the patient, being able to ensure that, you know, that patient knows that the, the specialist that they're going to has a relationship with the doctor that's referring to them. You know, I think that's, that's, the, 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 the most significant and paramount benefit is to the patient, that continuity of care, making it ease, improving their overall experience. You know, obviously, 
from a physician's perspective, to the extent that you can make a user-friendly process that reduces the amount of work and challenge and follow-up that they ha- they're responsible for is critical. One of the things that we hear a lot is, you know, again, tell me, help me understand, you know, the updated information on, on the specialist network that we're using. And whether or not that's any quality data that we can help, you know, reinforce updates in the type of procedures or type of, you know, kind of subspecialty areas that they're focused in on, you know, types of insurance that they actually accept. Nothing's more frustrating to making a referral to a specialist. And then me as a patient, I get there and find out they don't accept my insurance. So, you know, having all of that current, you know, is critical. And then, you know, the last thing is, you know, with the payers in particular, they understand that, you know, with a a well-equipped, well-supported you know, fully engaged primary care doctor that has a specialty network like this and really does engage with that specialty network. You know, we have conversations around where, you know, diagnostics are being ordered, how many diagnostics are being done, what type of diagnostics are, are being done. You know, one of the things that, you know, we're mindful of is, you know, good specialists obviously use diagnostics to diagnose when's necessary. What they don't do is overuse those, you know, kind of for self-gratification. And, you know, I think that's some things that we've, you know, worked with our physicians on and ensure that the network has, you know, that. And I think, you know, the point there is that it, that all translates into lower cost of care. You know, if, if the network is being used efficiently, you know, if you have specialists that are fully engaged around value-based objectives and they're aligned, you know, we've, we've found that that really does work to the benefit of, the patient to the physician and to the payer as, as it relates to lower costs. Yeah, it's, I guess I would just double click on a couple of points there. Thinking about the provider experience, I think I've read studies 20 to 25% of PCB time is dedicated to administrative tasks. So thinking about that number, right, and anything that contributes to that is just, it's a little mind numbing to think about that being such a high mind share of uh, any physician. So anything that can reduce that burden, almost from a nuts and bolts perspective, just thinking about when I go to make this referral in my EMR, getting that directory itself up to date is an extraordinary industry challenge. It's something unique to healthcare where there's no centralized, standardized repository of physician addresses, phones, and faxes. So just imagine going to go on Google, looking up for a car dealership, driving there, and the car dealership's not there anymore, right? It's just something we've kind of accepted as part of healthcare. The payers are administratively or uh, from a regulatory perspective being hit with that mandate to keep your directories up to date. CMS is implementing of penalties to their MA plans for having out-of-date directories. And then at the end of the day, patients just suffer, right? You know, Corey highlighted probably the most poignant point that, oh, the best doc for me doesn't take my insurance. That could be one of my takeaways, right? You said this is the best doc. So I either go out of network or I have to call the office back and say, well, who's your next best doc? Or whatever the patient mindset is there could be anything, especially for an older population, right? Where money matters a lot for co-pays, et cetera. So it's just, it's kind of one of those things that the industry's put up with for far too long. And just figuring out a centralized streamlined solution is gonna benefit everybody. Referral management is increasingly important as we shift to value-based care. Why is this, and and what are the implications for the future of medicine uh, and the future of healthcare? Yeah, I think that you know when you just look at the total cost of care and where that total you know cost of care, how it breaks down, 
you know, with, you know, 60% of that, you know, really being either hospital-based or specialty-based, the referral management and, and what types of specialists that we're using and, and having a network of specialists that are, are equally educated and aligned, you know, with the objectives, you know, that, that we've talked about, I think is critical, you know, and I think as we go through this, you know, it's, it's an educational process. You know, one of the things that I think is interesting is that when you get the right specialist engaged, they really do want to help solve, you know, for, you know, some of the inadequacies that we see and, and some of the waste, you know, that occurs. There's nothing better than working with a specialist that really does come to the table with some innovative ideas, you know, on how, you know, they could avoid cost or help better manage patients in a more efficient setting. You know, one of the key things that, that we kind of understand, and it's true for everyone, is, you know, site of service is a phenomenon, you know, within, you know, healthcare that I, I think most folks outside the industry fully don't understand. An example being is that, you know, for an orthopedic injury, right, not uncommon that, you know, you, you would have to do an MRI in order to really diagnose the extent of, call it a knee injury. If you go into a hospital-based MRI, so in other words, a hospital that owns that and then bills out under their tax ID number because it has a professional and technical component associated with that versus a freestanding MRI, which again, does not have those, that same corresponding you know, cost structure. The price or the cost associated with that is, is anywhere from three to five times you know, the amount. So if you think about it, I mean, we have in our, in our area, you know, a freestanding MRI, you know, will cost anywhere from seven to $900. And if it goes to, you know, a hospital, it can be up to $3,500. And, you know, again, we want to be mindful of using, you know, state-of-the-art technology and obviously, you know, the importance of having very, you know, well-trained, high-quality radiologists reading, you know, the studies. But at the end of that, that's a diagnostic tool basically saying, you know, is that ACL torn or not? You know, and, you know, the, the price difference in that is significant. And, you know, I think as you kind of educating not only our doctors, but also the, the specialists that participate in the network, you know, around those cost differences is um, and, and, and really the cost of the decision, I think, is, is an area where efficient, effective networks do a really good job of constantly communicating and educating and then bringing in specialists that really are you know, focused on helping to solve, you know, those types of things. And then look, taking back to that medical dollar point, I think 6% of the medical dollar is for PCP services. Everything else is non-PCP services, right? So I think pharmacy is probably the second biggest bucket around 35%, but that uh, the rest is physician, specialist, facility, hospital driven. So thinking about the PCP as the gatekeeper, and managing that medical dollar via the right side of service, as Corey mentioned, and the right specialist who knows how to navigate that and does the appropriate thing, it's difficult, right? And that's really the value prop of the network in the value-based care arena is using giving the PCP the ability to navigate that. And at the same time, as a patient, you, in an ideal world, you don't have to go to the doctor. So the less physician visits, the less studies, right, the less, the less invasive your treatment plan, the better it is for you as well, cost and just experience. So aligning that mantra, right, to finding the least invasive path of care for you is one thing we're trying to be very, very mindful of. How can technology 
and electronic health records in particular, optimized referral management, and where do most EHRs come up short? That's a really multi-layered question. I'll try to sum it up in a couple of high-level uh, points and a little bit of discussion. Interoperability is probably the key driver behind all of this. I think everybody knows that. But thinking about how the referral was sent, right, just from a mechanical perspective, what data is included about that patient from the PCP perspective, what's important and relevant for that specialist, what the patient goals and what the physician goals are associated with that referral. From a technology perspective, doesn't happen seamlessly today. It's hit or mix on what's transmitted and how and how it's received. Just think about using a fax number. Some practices do not have an EMR and rely on paper faxes that come in. And then when the data is transmitted, it's different based on the EMR protocol that's received, right? So you're looking at a, at a question mark there in terms of what's actually communicated. And then you're relying on the patient to communicate as well. So the patient has to bring that information forward to uh, kind of coordinate all that work. So just getting the information transfer standardized doesn't happen today. There's processes in place, but they're not ideal. And then one step before that, even the selection process, we mentioned several times getting the right data in front of the docs to make that decision is extraordinarily difficult today. Most EMRs I've seen are really click the box, drop down, and sort by zip, right? So you're getting the position that's the closest to you Right, and just like you would in a yellow pages book up, look up. So developing the technology to take all the data points available on cost, quality, insurance, physician feedback, patient satisfaction, availability, and access. So if you ask our docs what the three most important things are, it's quality, access, and communication. So being able to highlight those three strong points and bring the docs that are really good at those three things to the top is something we're trying to build um, today. But most systems, if not all systems, fall very short in doing that. Yeah, I think certainly Chris is kind of an expert when it comes to, you know, all of these things that, that you know, I think our doctors and, and all doctors want. You know, I would add to that is, you know, when you think about like the ability to use that technology to continue to kind of provide as much information to ensure the right referral. And, and you can imagine is that if you're equipping the doctor, you know, with the information at their fingertips to have the conversation with the patient at the time of their, you know, exam, you know, it's easier for them to then, you know, make a recommendation on an orthopod who's a hand specialist and has the ability to kind of then use, reinforce not only their educational credentials, but also, you know, some of the areas that, that they've kind of specialed in, you know, specialized in, you know, those are just things that kind of improve the doctor's ability to speak confidently to, you know, the patient and the patient ultimately is the one that walks away with a sense of, yeah, I'm, I'm heading in the right direction because, you know, the particular hand surgeon that I'm going to train at Hopkins and has, you know, done this particular, you know, procedure X number of times and has, you know, all the kind of endorsements that, you know, gives all of us confidence that when we're going to seek care, we're doing it with the right person. And I think that technology and enhancing, you know, what the physician has at their fingertips not only improves the overall quality of the engagement, but it, it, it also improves the interaction between the physician and the EMR. In addition to uh, access, quality, uh, and availability, like you mentioned, Chris, what are some of the other key data points to get at physicians' fingertips at the point of care? Yeah, so we, we've taken a couple different uh, tacks to, in terms of data to be presented. I think it's been a learning. Um, we've refined it each time. 
one th before I answer specific data points, one thing we always say, and I think Corey may have coined this a long time ago, is good docs, no good docs. So before we assume that the data tells us the whole story about a physician or a facility, we let the physician drive a lot of the conversation around that, especially if they're familiar with them. Or actually only if they're familiar with them. If they're not, that's a different story. But the data doesn't always tell a complete story of what's going on specific to that provider. It's extraordinarily complex, for, especially for specialty care, right? Because specialists can vary even within. So one GI versus another GI may have a specific expertise. They see sicker patients based on that expertise. They have a different treatment protocol. So when you start to try to normalize that in cost and claims data, it can get very not apples to oranges very quickly. So that is one key point that we've always highlighted is to let our physicians kind of be the, uh, the keeper of quality to a certain extent. But then on top of that, probably the one of the biggest points we've used is cost data from our insurance partners, including Medicare, so think Care First, Aetna, Cigna, et cetera. They all have some version of episode cost rankings. And the way it works is, using the orthopedic example, if I have a surgery on March 1st, there's typically a 90-day look back and a 90-day look forward on all the services accompanying with that surgery, potentially farther out, depending if things go uh, in a different direction. Uh, but it's extraordinarily complex, very expensive. These are PhD-level data science people that work on this. So they're able to map that diagnosis across the time span and associate that with a specialist. So sharing that, that methodology and data from our insurance partners based on that analysis is probably the biggest point we've used up front to give them some element of cost and just for them to think about. I mean, some would argue that cost is an element of quality, right? If your cost is high, you're typically not managing the patient well in some instances. In some instances, you need really highly intensive procedures and treatments, so it will be more expensive. Yeah, I would just add to what Chris said, especially on, you know, the cost data and how we use that in working with our doctors. You know, it quickly becomes calculus, you know, in kind of how that data is kind of broken down and, you know, how it's actually viewed. And, you know, one of the things that I think we're always super mindful of, super respectful of is, you know, our physicians are, are really good physicians, right? They're really smart people and they want to understand the data and the numbers. So the ability to kind of sit with them and educate them and then allow them to kind of discern on that and make some of their own observations and conclusions from that, you know, versus us coming in and telling them, hey, this is the way it is. Here's what the data says. Here's what you need to take away from that, you know, is something that, you know, I think is is absolutely critical, you know, to being able to kind of make a, a, an effort around referral management successful because I think physicians and, and rightfully so have a degree of skepticism when it comes to, you know, data that's provided by third parties and in particular, whether it be insurance companies or whether it be areas that, you know, just quite frankly, they want to kind of get comfortable with exactly what the data says, where it's coming from and how do they want to interpret that as it relates to their patients, you know, I think is critical you know, to spend the time with our physicians, educating them. You know, if you kind of look at our process, it, it's A, it is a work in progress, and B, it's taken, you know, six, seven years to kind of get the right level of dialogue and, you know, baseline understanding and, and feedback incorporated into kind of ultimately what we what we use and how we how we use that information now. As is the case with much of healthcare, good solutions aren't necessarily effective if they don't have physician engagement to back them. So what are some of the ways to engage doctors so that they utilize 
these robust, cohesive referral management systems? Yeah. So, uh, and then I know we really talked about the cost data and the upfront selection, and we and I mentioned availability and communication as well. So there's not any that I'm aware of industry standard around those pieces today, and it goes back to the interoperability portion. But we are working on potential metrics for that, working through our EMR vendor specifically. And if you're on the same EMR, so we have. Uh, primarily PCPs with some specialists that were able to build that tracking, right? So we could say, when's your next available appointment for new patients? We can build that into the selection process. And then on communication, maybe some metric around how quickly or how efficiently a consult note comes back. So one of the most important pieces for PCP is, am I included in the care of this patient? And then the main vehicle for that is, does the consult note come back clearly articulated? And is that specialist available to me via cell or some form of communication where I can get to them on a regular basis? You know, I think one of the things that we've kind of observed is, you know, the practice of medicine and in particular PCPs, you know, becoming you know, much more isolated over the number of years, you know, that they stop going to the hospital and, you know, stop rounding on their patients. And then, you know, during those, those, those times, they had natural interactions with specialists that were consulting on their patients. And, you know, they had a relationship, you know, there was, there was truly, you know, the ability to connect and communicate, et cetera. So, you know, I think that's one thing that we've consistently tried to kind of um, reinforce and reinvent in a number of different ways. Um, we currently have pod meetings, you know, that um, all of our, you know, primary care networks participate in where they meet with a, a geographical group of doctors and on a, on a regular basis, you know, usually on a monthly basis. But at any rate, they, they connect and they talk about, you know, these types of things. They talk about you know, cost of air care, they talk about, you know, what the data has, you know, relative to where there's opportunity, where there's increases in volumes, you know, where, what, how the network can best serve them. And I think through some of those conversations, we've been able to kind of reach out to specialists and have them participate in those pod meetings and, and to physically show up and talk about a particular, you know, issue and how they could handle it. One of the great parts about that is that there's some education that goes on you know, where if you're managing a particular condition, you know, for instance, um, you know, an orthopod may say, hey, you know, somebody presents with this particular type of issue, try these things first, okay? Try physical therapy and do, you know, whatever it might be. Don't order the MRI um, because I, I have certain views that I want before, you, you know, you um, get them to me. And, you know, but the, just that interaction and that engagement I think is where, you know, the relationship starts to, you know, solidify and, and really the exchanging of ideas and the, you know, the mutual respect that I think comes from there is where, you know, really, I think we've seen a lot of, um, you know, good, good things happen as it relates to, you know, for the patient, you know, for the physicians, you know, the last thing I'll say is that we do believe that, you know, the virtual platforms out there provide an immense opportunity. We've seen a number of curbside consults, you know, basically where, you know, a, a primary care doctor would say, uh, I don't know whether or not I need to send this patient to you. Can, can I, can I set up like five minutes, take a look at it. And then what happens is the specialist will take a look at it. For instance, dermatologists might take a look at something and say, no, just do this. Okay. And, you know, put them on this. And then if that doesn't get better, then send them to me or, 
you know, they may kind of encourage them to send them right over. You know, whatever it might be is that that technology has has been used to, you know, not only foster more engagement between the two physicians, but in that those particular examples, you know, the patient is able to kind of, you know, be much more efficient in how they go about, you know, seeking that specialty care, whether or not be avoiding a, a, a visit or making sure that that visit that they're requesting is expedited. But regardless, I think those are, you know, some things that I think we've seen work very well in engaging, you know, that doctor to doctor relationship. One of the other big discussion points that typically happen is we allow them to review their preferred network um, as a group without specialists in the room. So you can start getting some very candid opinions about specialists in the market. So you can have disagreements, you can have a mix like this guy is great, this lady's really good, and then you can kind of have that discussion back and forth. And then you have either more options or more or less and then more appropriate options based on that discussion. So it really gives them a round table, safe space to discuss specialists and facilities in their area and what they see day to day in an outlet to uh, get that into the field, so to speak. At this point in the conversation, I, I think it's fair to say referral management gives us a lot to be excited for. But I'm curious, what excites you the most about the future of referral management? You know, I think that, to be honest with you, I think we're still in the very early stages of kind of ultimately what this can look like. You know, Chris mentioned, you know, uh, interoperability, you know, and, you know, some of the challenges that that continues to kind of provide. I think if we are able to kind of provide some, you know, solutions there, uh, the seamlessness of the referral experience you know, can dramatically be improved. You know, the bi-directional connectivity between, you know, a EMR, regardless of which one it is, and another EMR, and the ability to talk to one another, the ability to kind of look at someone's schedule, the ability to be able to kind of then go in there and say, okay, you know, I'm sitting here with you right now, and I'm going to actually get you in to see the orthopedic, you know, consult, you know, tomorrow at 2.30. And I can now confirm the fact that, you know, that person accepts your insurance and everything's going to be great. You're going to get this, you know, reminder with all of the information, et cetera, et cetera, you know, is, is areas where, you know, we've, we've seen, you know, the kind of the prototypes or at least, you know, the, uh, the pitches that kind of solve for that. I think when you go out and try to kind of make that a reality, it's, it's, it's quite a bit more difficult. I think the other part, you know, there is that as you kind of think through, you know, where some technologies that are really started to kind of make some differences is, you know, some of the utilization management aspects of this, you know, so in other words, you know, equipping the primary care doctor, you know, with information to determine, you know, whether or not the referral itself is needed or not. And, you know, being able to continually, you know, review and provide some enhancements to that decision-making process. Again, we've seen you know, um, technologies out there that kind of help in that area. I think that that's going to be immensely, you know, potentially second opinions, you know, that are included in that, you know, to where you, you know, for out of courtesy could get a second opinion on, you know, a specialty consult and, you know, those types of things. So I think, you know, some, those types of enhancements, at least from my perspective, get me very excited because at the end, I think the easier we can make this entire experience, both for referring physicians and for patients, you know, I think that there's reducing the amount of friction, you know, that happens, you know, in those, you know, situations, 
I think that there's still quite a bit of, of manual intervention. I think there's quite a bit of friction that remains in that process. You know, solving those, you know, piece by piece, I think is really where I think there's immense opportunity. And I think that uh, that's where a lot of good can be done. Yeah, I would agree with all that, plus a few other points. Just thinking about uh, Corey and I have been doing this work, I guess, almost four years now, four to five years, and it's, it's starting to feel like the industry cares more and more about this. So it's popping up more on physician satisfaction surveys. I mentioned CMS kind of pushing the regulatory piece towards payers just to have an accurate directory. So the industry and value-based payment, as we mentioned, you need an effective network. So to be successful in those arrangements, so as more value-based care comes down the pipe and more providers sign up for those contracts, you're going to need this work to be successful. So it just feels like the industry is starting to prioritize this. And then just thinking about all the things we pointed out, the bar is pretty low for improvement, right? So as we just start chipping away and making it better and better and better over time and really having a consumer-grade experience for patients, everything is going to get better from a technological perspective. Physicians are going to care more and more. I don't want to blame fever service for a lot of this, but it really didn't matter how many things I did to that patient, right? I was still getting paid for it. So I know that's kind of the whole esoteric point behind this, but I think it will start to matter. And once you have skin in the game, I think I, I remember reading it, once you're under 40% of a value base, if 40% of your income is value-based, you start to shift your whole mindset there. So if we think about the industry or a hospital system, when there's that 40% threshold of income, that's when things start to get uh, serious and real. And I think we're going to see just that's going to be one of the key drivers pushing a lot of this work for improvement over time. Thank you both for, for coming on the podcast today. I certainly learned a lot. I know that our listeners did as well. So really just thank you again. And, and I'd love to have you back on someday to to talk about referral management more. I'm sure there's still much more to say. Appreciate it, Morgan. Thanks for doing this. Enjoyed, you know, chatting with you and happy to help however we can. Yeah, appreciate the time, Morgan. Thank you. That concludes this episode of The Break Room. Thank you again to our guests, Corey Perdue and Chris Poe. And thank you to all our listeners for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed the episode. If you'd like to learn more about the many ways Privia can help with referral management, please visit our website at priviahealth.com. We'll be back next month for another episode of The Break Room. See you then.